0: Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews today, and this summer we're looking at this 11th chapter, which some people call the Hall of Faith. There are these great examples uh, of faithfulness that we read of. So we'll be in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, 6 to 16, but we are going to return just for a brief moment to look at verse 1 to start off with. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we uh, do just uh, thank you for our church and just the ability to gather together as believers, doing what believers have always done, which is confessing our faith in you and as a result, worshiping you, hearing from your word and being conformed in your image as a result of studying your word and hearing from you. Lord, on this very political season that we're experiencing right now, I pray that we wouldn't be a political church. But I do pray that uh, that, that uh, desire to not delve into every nook and cranny of politics, that that wouldn't freeze us from uh, being a prophetic church. I pray that we would, we would speak prophetically uh, to our culture. And so, Lord, uh, give us the wisdom to navigate that. Lord, as we look at your word, which is prophetic, um, I pray that Uh, we would heed the truth of this, that we would uh, shape our lives accordingly. Lord, to that end, we need Your Spirit to come. We confess that uh, we can't be conformed to Your image in our own strength, but we need Your Spirit to give us eyes to see things that we don't see, to convict us of sin that maybe we're justifying, to help us change and grow in, in new ways and new directions. So Lord, to that end, we just invite Your Spirit to come to fill this room and do the work that only he can do. Father, I also pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, I love church planters. Church planters are kind of the church's uh, shock troopers, where they kind of parachute in, maybe not a lot of support, but they've got to win the field. Where most people only see problems, church planters see solutions. They have a vision for uh, what a place can become. I- I've been blessed this year to get to coach a, a group of church planters, and, and they're great brothers, and, and I've tried to uh, make space kind of even in our preaching in this church for some of these guys. They, they need some reps. Uh, but also, uh, I, I'm confident that you're going to be blessed by them because of, of just who they are and their vision for things. Uh, a, a few weeks past, uh, a few weeks ago, we had Eric Patrick come and preach. And I hope you were encouraged by Eric. In the fall, uh, Derek Campbell is going to come and preach for us. But you see, I, I've wanted to expose our church to these, these guys and these families because I have found their faith really infectious, like, like I've just grown in my confidence in the Lord based upon their confidence in the Lord. Like, like it's rubbed off on me, just how they live their lives and just uh, uh, the vision that they have. I, I've just been encouraged by their faith. i wanted you all to get a taste of that type of vision, that type of commitment, that type of perseverance. For example, one of our guys, he uh, has left this Uh, A really high level position at a really well-known church with with a good salary in order to move, go to this new place, uh, start a church in a school, no guaranteed salary. But this guy has just full confidence in the Lord and great faith in what he's doing We've got another guy. He's leaving a high-paying secular job to uh, move from the West Coast to to plant in our area. And again, you know, they don't know how it's going to go. They know one family here, um, but they're just committed to this. And they're just marked by great faithfulness. You see, where most of us only see with physical eyes, I've watched these guys see things with spiritual eyes. Where where maybe some of us just kind of see present problems. They have a, a real vision for future solutions. That, that's maybe the, the definition of faith. And that's the type of faith uh, that I want to have. And those are the type of faithful people that I want to be around. That, that's why we need Hebrews 11, verses 6 to 16. But we need to have that type of faith because we tend to naturally only see with physical eyes. And we tend to naturally only see the present, what is right in front of us. We need this passage to be reminded that there's more than the physical realm. There's a spiritual realm, and we're supposed to see it. Also, we need to recognize that the present is not all that there is, but there's this future that we're supposed to hope in. There's this spiritual transcendent reality outside of us, and we're to believe in it and live our lives accordingly. Also, there's, there are future solutions to the problems that we face. We don't naturally see and desire a better country, but this passage is going to call us to desire and believe in a better country. You see, not only do we need an explanation of faith, I think we need a demonstration of faith. Kind of like those church planters have been in my life. I don't just need a technical definition of how faith is defined. I need models to look at and models to follow, and that's what we get in this passage. Not only are we taught what faith is but we're kind of caught we're able to catch what faith is if you will we we need to uh, be taught the truths about what faith is but also catch a vision for what faith looks like so today we're going to kind of briefly return back to verse 1 and see this definition of what faith is and and then we're going to shift and see that that type of faith is pleasing to god and then we're going to see these three really glorious examples of faithfulness. And ultimately, this passage is going to call us to desire a better country. So let's return to verse 1 and see this call to have faith in God for the future as well as the unseen. Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is about trusting God for your future as well as for the unseen. There's kind of a, two parts to this definition. The, the first part, the assurance of things hoped for. Faith in is about these beliefs regarding the future. It, it's about believing God with your future. These things that you hope for. It's about believing that you have a good future with Him. So faithful people, they they, again don't just see the present problems. They they have a vision for a good future. They, They see solutions coming, good solutions coming in the future. They don't just see cancer. They see heaven on the other side of it. That's what faithfulness looks like. They don't just see and think of problems of this world, but they understand that God is bringing us a good future. But second, Faith is the conviction of things not seen. This means uh, faith is about your belief regarding the unseen things of life. Faith is about trusting God, which you can't see with your physical eyes. It's about trusting God with the physical realm, this world that's outside of us, this spiritual world, not just the physical world. You see, faithful people, they, they don't just view problems from a physical perspective, They view it from a spiritual perspective. They don't just see division, the physical. They see reconciliation that can come from that that division. They don't just see the problems. They see God doing something good. Faith is about having a spiritual perspective regarding the uh, the future. It's the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So it's this call to trust in Him for the unseen and trust in Him for the future. That's what faith is. Trusting Him for those things. But I also want you to see that that type of faith and that type of faithfulness, that is pleasing to God. Verse 6 is this call to have faith in order to please Him. Look with me at verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So trusting Him with your future, with what you can't see with your own eyes, believing that He has a good future for you, He views that as commendable, as praiseworthy. That's what pleases God. If you want to know, okay, how do I live a life that pleases God? That's what it is. It's to trust Him with what's unseen. It's to trust Him with your future. That's pleasing to Him. And you can take it the, the, the flip if you don't trust Him with the future and you don't trust Him with what you can't see, then that's not pleasing to Him. But that's what it means to have faith in Him is to trust Him with those things. But it begins with the belief that He exists. Like you can't say, well, and I've heard people try to say this, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't even believe God exists. That, that doesn't work. That doesn't work uh, according to the Bible. If you're going to have faith in God, it means that you believe that He exists, that He's actually out there. You, you see, uh, uh, it begins there, but that's not blind. and That's not foolish faith. That, that's not this kind of unreasonable leap into the dark to believe that God exists. There's all sorts of clues and arguments for the existence of God. Like, scientifically, if that's the way uh, you're, you're wired, I mean, just go study the eyeball. <laughs> like, the eyeball is so complex, it's so detailed, it has such a specific purpose I don't think there's any real argument that you could make that that is just something that's uh, evolved over millions of years due to mutations. It's way too complex. You know, it, it's way too, all these things have to come together for it to accomplish its purpose. The eyeball's a great argument for the existence of God. I'm maybe less of a scientist and maybe more of a romantic. And so things like justice and love and beauty, those things are real. Those things exist out there. But but I, I don't see them physically. I don't even always know how to define them. I know they're real, but all those things—those so things that maybe stir your soul—those those things point to some reality outside of this physical world. The material is not all that there is, and so believing that God exists—that's not some sort of blind leap in the dark. But further, uh, this is uh, 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 pleasing to God in a way that it's not just about believing that He exists. But pleasing faith to God means that you draw near to Him. It, it's you come to Him. You you seek Him out. You desire Him. You worship Him. You see, pleasing faith doesn't draw near to God out of duty, but it draws near to Him out of a need for joy. Like you lack something, you're hungry for something, and you find it in Him. I, I think a, a great illustration of spirituality is, is uh, why do we eat lunch? We don't eat lunch. Duty. We eat lunch because we lack something. We're hungry. We desire something, and that fulfills a need for us. That's the same uh, way of our faith with the Lord: is that we lack something. We have this desire for joy, this this hunger for something more, and we find it in Him. Pleasing faith needs to draw near to God; otherwise, we'll be hungry. Otherwise, we'll be lacking in joy. But the final thing I want you to notice from. Hebrews 11.6 is that that type of faith, that type of pleasing faith, where you believe that He exists and then you draw near to Him for joy, that type of faith is rewarded. Psalm 43.4 says, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I will praise you with lyre, O God, my God. You see, the reward for desiring God, for believing that He exists, desiring Him, pursuing Him, drawing near to Him is that you'll be rewarded but the reward is Him. You desire living water and you find it in Him. That's the reward. You're rewarded with joy. uh, It'll be a better joy than anything you'll be able to find in this world or that you'll be able to find in anyone else. Faith is trusting God with your future, with what you can't see. Faith is pleasing to God. This is What pleases God is to live your life this way, to have that type of trust in Him, to believe that He exists, And further, they have this desire to draw near to Him. And in desiring to draw near to Him and coming near to Him, you find that living water that your soul needs. You you find joy in Him. But what does that type of faith look like? Maybe that's kind of the the technical uh, ins and outs of what faith is. But what does it look like? Well, the first example He gives us is Noah. This is a call in verse 7 to be like Noah and have faith in God's Word about the unseen, even if it's unpopular. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The story of Noah, and you're probably familiar with it, runs from Genesis 5 to Genesis 10. And Noah, similar to kind of Enoch, can be described as a man who was generally righteous. He walked with God. And and out of that, uh, God gives him a warning. He gives him his word. And his word is a warning of judgment to come. And it's something that he can't see. He says, he warns him that judgment is coming. He's going to judge all the corruption in the world with this flood. And then he calls Noah, again, through his word, To build this ark. So God shows Noah mercy. He says I'm going to spare you from that judgment. But you have to believe the warning. And believe the warning to the degree that you follow it. So he extends him grace through his word. And Noah believes his word. And that's how he finds salvation. Again, we know the story that Noah took God at his, at his word. He believed him. He had faith in the word of God. Peter says in 2 Peter 2.5, that even though God did not spare the ancient world, he then preserved Noah and his family as a result. That's what faithfulness looks like. He promises judgment. He gives us warning through His Word. We trust Him on that. We live our lives accordingly. And then we find salvation. Noah had faith about the unseen. He believed in God regarding what he could not see with his own eyes. Noah knew that there was this spiritual world. He trusted God for it. He trusted His Word. He believed in His Word. uh, And and thus, as a result, uh, Noah was pleasing to God. And, And then Noah experienced that reward. His life was preserved. But further, I want you to note and just picture what it must have been like for Noah. That was very unpopular what he did, right? His faith was not popular. His faith was not celebrated. His faith was mocked, right? Those around him made fun of him. Like what he was trusting didn't make sense to them. It was just bizarre to them. It was foolishness to them. And in a similar way, real people in your life and in this culture are going to think you're weird because you trust this. This is not something that's going to be celebrated by so many people in your life. Like Noah, you're going to be called to have faith in God about things that seem weird and maybe even dangerous or or silly to the world around you. Having faith in Christ is not always going to be met with a pat on the back. If you're so insecure that you need to be celebrated for your faith, Christianity is not for you. It's not going to be always celebrated. You're not going to have people cheering you on. And if you crave applause from this physical world, then you are not going to be able to have pleasing faith. So like Noah, have faith in God's Word. Have faith in that unseen spiritual world, even if it's unpopular. But turn now to Abraham, verses 8 to 12. Like Abraham, we're to have faith in God's Word about the future, even if it seems impossible. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Again, the definition of faith from verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it emphasizes the conviction of the unseen and the assurance of the hope for the future. And when you look at Noah, he's kind of emphasized the unseen. Noah had this, this faith and this trust on what he couldn't see. There was this broken world around him. He couldn't see the salvation, but he trusted God on what he couldn't see. But in Abraham's case, the emphasis is on the hope, this, this hopeful future. God's promised these things to Abraham, and he trusts God for his future. He had hope in God for his future. Abraham was called through God's Word to look forward to a future promise. So Abraham had faith in him for his future. Now if you know the story of Abraham, it runs from Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis 25. And and Abraham is best understood as a nomad. Like he was living this sojourning life. You could describe him as a stranger in a strange land. He he just moved from different places. He was always on the move. Uh, He was always caught in between, bouncing from one foreign land to another. He was homeless, if you will. It's maybe strange to think of it, but Abraham didn't have a home. He didn't have a homeland. He needed a home, and he was looking for a home. And that's when God steps in with His, uh, with his promises. Really, the best way to understand God's relationship with Abraham is this covenant that He makes with him in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, 1-3, we see the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your family's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God, through His Word, He he promised this homeless, childless Abraham He promised him land, seed, and blessing. All of that seemed impossible. Nothing in his life uh, pointed that he was headed in that direction. There was nothing in his life that said, yeah, you're going to have land, you're going to have seed, you're going to have blessing. Nothing in his life said that. All of that seemed impossible. But God makes this covenant promise with him. And Abraham trusts him for it. He trusts him for that future. But I I think it's always helpful to remember that Abraham was a real person. And as a result, his faith was really imperfect. He had this faith that at times was marked by by great courage. I I think at times Abraham had an inspiring faith. Like, think about it. He was in this land. God calls him to go to a land that you don't know. He packs it up and he starts going. I don't know that I've, I haven't done that. I, I find that very inspiring. I find that very amazing that he would do that. However, at other times in Abraham's life, he has maybe it displays an uncomfortable or or even an embarrassing lack of faith. Like there's things that he does. There's uh, uh, times where he shows such embarrassing lack of faithfulness that frankly, like if that happened in our church, men like elders are coming knocking. Like church discipline is about to happen, okay? Like that's the type of unfaithfulness Abraham displayed at times. However, in Genesis 15, here's what God says and he believed the lord and he counted it he counted it to him as righteousness like that's how god describes abraham this man with very imperfect faith is counted as righteous well, what does that mean what, what is this what does it mean that he's counted as righteous Now Some people interpret this to say, well, listen, that means that he was counted as righteous, meaning that God stepped in and on the inside infused righteousness into him. Therefore, everything that he did at that point was righteous. Like he always followed the Lord after that. Then he was infused with righteousness. And so all that came out was righteousness. He didn't sin anymore. We know that can't be true, right? Like after Genesis 15, he does some very unrighteous things. So what does it mean that he was counted as righteous in Genesis 15? I think a better interpretation is the Protestant Reformed understanding of that. It means not that God came in and made him righteous to where he then perfectly followed the Lord after that. It means that it acknowledged that that Abraham had imperfect faith, but he had genuine faith, but more importantly, he had faith in the right thing. This imperfect man had faith in the one who was perfect. And as a result, God imputed righteousness upon him. Reformers talked about an alien righteousness from the outside of him. He was categorized as righteous, even though he wasn't really righteous. Like like they moved him into this category of righteousness based upon the faith that he had in the one who was righteous. It wasn't that he was perfectly righteous. It's that he trusted in the one who was perfectly righteous. And that one imputed righteousness upon him. He put him into this new righteous category. I think that's very important, and here's why. Because you and I are like Abraham, aren't we? We're going to have that type of faith. And friends, Abraham had saving faith. He didn't have perfect faith, but he had saving faith. He had not uh, faith in his own perfections, but he had faith in Jesus' perfections. He had faith in the perfect one, and that's what put him into this new category. You see, like Abraham's experience, so many of the promises from God's Word might seem impossible to you. There might be seasons in your life where you display just really inspiring faith in the Lord. And then there might be seasons in your life where maybe even in an embarrassing way you don't display that type of faith. But the question is, what is your faith in? Is it in your own perfections or is it in the perfect one? Abraham's faith was not in himself but it was in the one who is perfectly righteous. Do you have faith in God's word for your future? Or are you overwhelmed and filled with anxiety about the present? Are you, do you have faith in God's word even when his promises seem impossible? Do you trust him with your future? I'll, like I said earlier, I'll put my cards on the table. I personally didn't think Roe v. Wade would ever be overturned. I just kind of got there. Mama, I prayed for it. Okay, I trusted the Lord. I prayed, but I really didn't have faith that it would. And I think just the fact that it was for me was just kind of this faith-building thing of, you know, I can trust God with the future. I, I can really believe these things, follow the, these things, and He is working good in our lives. It's, it's not always going to go the way that we want. This world is always going to be broken to some degree, but we can really trust Him. Do you have faith in your own power and perfections? Or in the future, uh, for your future, or in Jesus's power and perfections. Who are you trusting for for your future? Is it you or is it him? How is your faith in Jesus regarding the future? How is that transforming your present right now? Like Abraham, have faith in his word about the future, even if it seems impossible. But there's this third glorious example of faithfulness, right? Sarah's in here too. Look, Look back at verse 11. Like Sarah, we're to have faith in God's Word in order to have power to walk in His promises. Verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered Him faithful who had promised. So, like Noah, like Abraham, Sarah had faith in God's Word. God said it, she believed it. That, that promised Abraham, she believed it. And in fact, in a very real and obvious way, it was really more through her than it was Abraham, right? And she trusted God. Due to her age, she she believed something that that seemed impossible to her, and she trusted God for it. And like Abraham, her faith was also imperfect, but she had faith in the right thing. However, we also see by faith Abraham, or by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. You see, faith in God's future promises that enabled Sarah to then have the power to walk in those promises. There's an empowering that happens when we trust the Lord. When you trust the Lord with these impossible things about your future, He then empowers you to be transformed by those promises. Do you see that? When you trust Him for His promises, He then empowers you to walk according to those promises. As Sarah experienced, God's in the business of making seemingly impossible promises yet then empowering us to walk in those promises. Isn't that glorious? He calls us to these glorious things. He makes these amazing promises to us. And then He then gives us the power to walk in them. What promise in His Word seems impossible to you? Do you believe that He can empower you to walk in those promises? Like Sarah, have faith in God's Word in order to walk in the power of His promises. Finally, there's... One more section here, and we're going to return to this section in a couple of weeks, but I just want to touch on verses 13 to 16. This is this call to have faith in a better country. Verse 13 says, "...these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they uh, had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 13 probably starts a a new paragraph in the idea here. We're going to return to it in a couple of weeks. I, I just want you to see a couple of things in this passage. Number one, I want you to see their faithful desire for a better country. Again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're supposed to see these uh, things in the spiritual realm. We're, we're to hope for things that are not just in the present. Therefore, faithful people, they ultimately desire something that's not in this present physical world. If this is all that you desire, you're settling. And friend, you're also foolish. If this is all that you desire, if this is all that you want, this is all that you work for, if this present world is all that there is, I think there's a settling to your desire. And I think there's a foolishness to your desire. You see, if your, des- your desires are too weak, if becoming a millionaire is all it takes for you to truly be happy. God has something so much better for you than all the money in the world. And this also speaks to, if your desire, uh, I-, I think is... Uh, your desires are too silly and too crude, if sex is all it takes to make you happy. God is selling you a better country than this world. He has something better than the physical, present world. He's offering you something better. We're to hope in something something beyond all this, something that brings us greater joy. If this is all we have, then man, how, how foolish are we? If this is all we have, how weak are we? We have something so much better. He offers us a better country. But second, I want you to see that their faithful desire for a better country, it was not realized. They didn't get to that better country. Abraham, Noah, Sarah, they didn't get there. They desired it. They believed in it. They hoped in it. They saw it with spiritual eyes. They they worked towards it, but they never got there. There's a sermon in that for us today, right? They were sojourners. We're, we're the same. We're sojourners just like they were. I know Jesus has fulfilled all these things, and, and but there's all these other promises, these promises that are out there. Friends, we haven't arrived. Like, like if you think this is the new heavens and the new earth, friend, God has something better for you. If this is all that you hope for, there is something so much better out there. And in fact, the belief in that better country, that's actually where you find joy in this world, right? I love the great Negro spirituals. One of them is titled, "Fare Ye Well. It's also called a great getting up morning. The, the spirituals, they were originally sung by those saints of old who were, who were living as sojourners in this really harsh, oppressive world. It's a world that hated them. They, they couldn't rise up. They were just trapped. Most of their work was this back-breaking, awful work. But you know, they were able to, to find joy even in those cotton fields. You know why? Because they had a vision. They had faith on something that is to come. They knew that this world was not all that there was. And the spirituals display that. The the lyrics of Fare Ye Well are amazing. One of the leaders of the group would would call out one of these lyrics. And then the congregation, picking cotton, would then yell out and and, and sing a response. They would sing, Fare Ye Well, Fare Ye Well. Somebody would call out, Well, in that great getting up morning... And then everybody would sing, fare ye well, fare ye well. Lord, in that great getting up morning, fare ye well, fare ye well. Let me tell you about that coming of judgment. Fare ye well, fare ye well. God going up to speak to Gabriel. Fare ye well, fare ye well. Blow that trumpet, Gabriel. Fare ye well, fare ye well. What a glorious song when you're trapped in slavery. That's the type of faith that I want. If you can see only just this present world, friend, I feel sorry for you. God has something better. There's something better than this world. Praise God, we're not where they were. But but this isn't it. This isn't home. This isn't the promised land. You see, if you see with spiritual eyes a better country, then fare ye well, fare ye well. Naturally, we all only see with physical eyes naturally we all only just see the present which right in front of us right naturally all we see is the fallenness of the world naturally all we see is the problems in this world that's all we see with natural eyes but what natural unfaithful sight do you need to repent of today you see do you look at your business only through natural eyes Do you look at your marriage or your children only through natural eyes? Do you look at this church only through natural eyes? Or do you look at it through spiritual eyes? What supernatural, faithful scene do you need to believe today? Do you need to have faith that God has promised you a good future, even in your darkest moments? Do you have spiritual eyes in those dark moments? Do you need to have faith that God is working good outside of what you can see? Isn't it good news that we have a better country coming? Isn't it good news that we have something better than this world? Isn't it good news that if we have faith in Christ and His work on the cross, that atoning sacrifice on the cross, that that then triggers all these promises for us? It just triggers an inheritance that is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news that He's bringing a better country? there's an author named Ryan Burge. he's a pastor and a political scientist I don't I don't know how all that works um, but he's both of those things and he's written a book that um, where he highlights different myths that we believe about religion in America he has all this data and all these uh, kind of fancy charts and uh, I was got into all his charts this week and one of them when the way he starts his book is he says the first myth is that evangelicalism is in the decline that kind of caught my attention. And here's just some stats for you. I like stats. He has this uh, chart that shows that in America in the 1970s, there was around 20 million mainline or, or liberal Protestants. There were about 30 million Roman Catholics, but there were only about 17 million evangelicals, 1970s. Fast forward to 2020, and mainline kind of Protestant liberals, they had declined from 20 million to 11 million in those 50 years. Roman Catholics had gone from 30 million to climb down to 17 million. But evangelicals, they'd gone the other way. They'd gone from 17 million to 37 million in those 50 years. Isn't that amazing? I had no idea any of that. See, I only see things with my physical eyes. Like when I look at the news, when I read Twitter, I think it's all doomed. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I, all I see is physical presence. However, there are still people like Abraham, Noah, and uh, and Sarah, right? There's still people out there that that have this faith, that that they see the spiritual realm, they have hope for the future. Going back to those uh, church planters that I coach, they they have just given me this kind of fresh wind of faith in my life to see that, hey, there's something beyond all this. Like, we, we don't just have to see the problems. Like, there can be real solutions out there. A couple of weeks ago, our denomination met and um, our our kind of domestic mission board is called the North American Mission Board. And they're primarily tasked, they do a few different things, but primarily to plant churches. And here's a stat, and again, I love stats, but here's a, uh, something that they reported. They said that since 2010, our denomination has planted 9,400 churches. That's amazing. Friends, that's like 700 churches a year. You see, there's problems in our denomination, okay? But the North American Mission Board believes that by 2030, a third of our churches in our denomination are going to be like us, have been planted since 2010. That's remarkable to me. That statistic blows my mind. Like that gives me real hope. Like there's real Noah's, there's real Abraham's, there's real Sarah's out there displaying that type of commendable, God-pleasing faith. That doesn't, just see pro, that doesn't just see problems, but has this assurance of hope, this conviction of things unseen. They, they faithfully desire a better country. You see, we naturally only see what we can see with our physical eyes. We only, we only see the present, we only see the fallenness of the world. But pleasing God means that we have faith that He is bringing about a better country. We can bring about, we can desire this thing that is better Then you see that fork of lightning. Then you hear that rumbling thunder. Then you see them stars a-falling. Then you see the world on fire. Then you see them sinners rising. See them marching home for heaven. Farewell, poor sinners. Farewell, poor sinners. Fare ye well. Fare ye well. Friends, when all you can see is the problems, when all you can see is this present world, desire a better country. Have the faith of those saints of old and sing, Fare ye well, fare ye well. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for those spirituals that have been passed down. I thank you for the, the faith of those saints of old that remind us that no matter how bad this present world gets, there's another world and there's a coming world. Lord, may we have the assurance of what we hope for, that we have the conviction of things that we don't see. May we follow the examples of Noah and Abraham and Sarah and just believe in a city that is to come. May we trust you for all things. Lord, may we be a people marked by faith. May our hope not be in this world, but in the country that is to come, a better country. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray, amen.